reading today comes from Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grains. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it is, it will be, with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Please keep your Bibles open while we learn this passage. Thank you, Rena. Well, just before we get really stuck in, uh, we've got good things prepared for the children. So Natalie is going to lead our children just behind the screen. Uh, So uh, they're going to go there and have some fun. And those of us who are left will look at that part of the Bible that Rona read. Actually, Natalie is going to be looking at that part of the Bible as well. So children, grown-ups, same thing. And just to say that uh, afterwards, if uh, people have questions that they'd like to ask, comments that they'd like to make, when we finish, the good thing about being in a group like this is we can talk to each other. So let's do that afterwards. Okay? So when we finish, ask the questions you want, say whatever you want. But we're going to look at uh, this passage. And as we come into it, let me ask you a simple question. Do you think greed is a bit of a problem in the world? Uh, it's a bit of a trap question because I'm expecting the answer yes. And I know how easy it is to find soft targets and to point and say, that man is greedy. You could do that with this man in uh, the Bible story, in verse 13. He's been part of a crowd, in verse 1, that's gathered around Jesus. And he's heard Jesus say about how God's care over people is so detailed that even the hair on your head is numbered. Jesus has just been saying that in Luke chapter 12. But this man is worried about the number in his bank account and how it could be more if only his brother would share his inheritance with him. And this man is an easy target. We can say he's greedy. And actually there are lots of soft targets if you want to pick on them. Work up time, footballers get lots, we can accuse them. Politicians 
wherever they are in the world, tend to be a magnet for money. Uh, bankers in this country are the bogeymen, greedy. But it is interesting, isn't it, that when church leaders start telling off other people for being greedy, like, for example, we're Anglicans, and very often our bishops tell our government for making bad financial decisions. It's very interesting when you look at uh, verse 15, that verse 14, that uh, Jesus won't be drawn into that kind of comment. Uh, Jesus will never tell people how to share their money in that sort of way. Yet, oddly, our church leaders want to do it all the time. Instead, what Jesus does is what our church leaders never do, and that is to say, actually, everybody. Verse 15, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus is not talking to just this one man who asked him the question. He's talking to them in verse 15, the whole crowd that's there in verse 1. And he does mean everybody. Let me tell you about the one easy way never to engage with the Bible. And that is to begin to say to yourself, hey, this doesn't really affect me. I'm not like this. It's for other people. And it wouldn't be a bad thing for us to say we aren't going to play that game tonight. That we are going to let this passage expose the fact that we're greedy. And to be honest, that we are. We might just look at verse 15 and we say, actually, the end of verse 15 doesn't sound like me. My life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's a bit harsh. But actually, uh, it's true uh, that actually we tend to think that the more we have, the easier life will be. So we do think that there is a connection between our possessions and our lives. And it's often in our retirement plans that our greedy hearts are specially revealed. What would you like to have when you retire? Ease? Enjoyment? Well, that's exactly what this man in the passage wanted uh, because he said to himself in verse 19, you've plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take your life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. So there is a sense in which uh, we begin to see that actually this greed thing could be a bigger problem for us here in this room than actually we would normally want to admit. Truth is, whenever we make financial decisions, greed is a battle for us. And Jesus wants to help us with that battle, so he tells this parable of a man. And uh, you know the parable that he's uh, telling us? Uh, it's there on the screen. It's uh, a farmer with uh, bumper crops 
And as we think about him, I want to suggest that we're looking at a wise man who is really a foolish man so that we can be wise. Now, my suggestion is that we probably look here rather than behind. Would it help if we drew the screen to help you being distracted? Would that be an easier thing? Uh, Paul, do you think you could just move the screen over to the right and then uh, we'll probably have uh, uh, them having their little part? That's right, good, thank you. So, we're going to look at the wise man and we're going to start there because actually if you look at this man, he seems to me to be quite wise. He's certainly successful, isn't he? He's made lots and lots of his own money. He doesn't seem to be a fool. Fools are the people who go and play the national lottery so that they can be like this man, but without the wisdom that he has to make it happen. They have to rely on their luck instead of their ability. But this man doesn't need to do that. He has good business wisdom to make the most of what he's got. He's willing, in verse 18, to go through a lot of disruption. He's going to tear down his barns, build bigger ones, in order that he will come out on top. He is able to make the tough financial decisions that wise people do when they want to make the most of what they've got. And he's not a dishonest man. There's nothing wrong with what he's doing. He's not cheating. Uh, he's not bribing anybody. He's not sleeping with the secretary. It's all in an honest day's work for him. He's just a businessman being smart. And no one reading his biography later is going to be saying, what a fool. Now, the cleverness of Jesus is that he draws everybody in because we'd all like to be like this man. Just think for a moment, why is it that we've got so many different nations and immigrants living on our estate? Because they want to be like this man. And they can do it better in this country than they can do it in their own country. It's not just immigrants that come here. White Brits on our estate. What's the biggest problem? I can tell you, it is debt. People borrow because they want to spend like this man. And in the process, they want to be like this man even more because then they can settle up all their loans and they don't have to worry about budgets anymore. Everybody wants to be like this man. And no one wants to be like a fool. So we think, actually, that uh, this man is really quite wise. We fixed the Mr. Wise badge on him. But the reality is that he is a fool. Jesus says that uh, in verse 20. Interestingly, Jesus can say what God will say. Join the dots. There is only one man who can tell you what God will say. Jesus is God. But then you have to ask, well, why does God say that this man is foolish? 
where we might want to look at this little story again, and it may be that we can begin to see some clues. So, for example, we might be able to say he's foolish because when money drives you, relationships dive. So in verse 13, you can see that this man has fallen out with his brother. His relationships have uh, uh, taken a tumble because money is more important. And we can say, well, that's a mark of somebody who's a fool. But Jesus puts his finger on a different problem in the way that he describes this rich man in verses 17 to 19. Can you see what he's saying? This man is convinced that he owns everything. So you look at these words and you will see my crops, my barns, my surplus grain. And in then verse 19, in the original, he says, I will say to my soul. It says myself here, but I will say to my soul. Everything is his. He owns everything. And Jesus shows the foolishness of that by simply changing owners in verse 20. At the end of verse 20, someone else will own everything. Uh, friends, anything that you can't take with you isn't really yours. And when this rich man leaves the world, he is poorer than the poorest beggar who at least has got something on his back. When the Queen of England leaves this world, she will be poorer than the poorest beggar. So, to think that he could have what he had and to regard it as his is what made him a fool. So how should we be wise? Well, the first thing to notice is that in the kindness of God, this is a parable. In other words, it hasn't yet happened to the crowd or to anyone in this room. There is still time to wisen up and not be foolish. To work out what verse 21 means. What does it mean to stir up things uh, for ourselves but not to be rich towards God. How do we get rich towards God? But look, do the logic thing. If wise is the opposite of foolish, and if foolish is thinking that everything is yours, then wise is being the opposite to saying, my crops, my barns, my surplus grain. And to recognize instead of mine that it has actually all been given. And you begin to see that right at the very start as you look at verse 16 where it says a certain rich man, uh, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. In other words, the rich man's wealth came from something external to himself. From the God who gave him the fertile ground, everything came from outside of him. Mm, sure. 
And God gives us stuff to test us on the my question. Do we see our blessings as entirely being given to us or do we see it as the result of our own hard graft? Do they, in other words, come to us because somehow I've gone out and got them? Or have I got what I've got because God has put us in a certain situation that has been very favorable to us and has given us the abilities to maximize on the situation we've found ourselves in? You see, we become rich to God when we see it's not mine, but given to me. And then we become rich towards God because we grow in our love, in our joy, in our gratitude to this God who has given us enormous, enormous goodness that we can't ever fully count up and appreciate. In other words, we become rich towards God when we adore the giver and not the gifts. How wise it would have been for this man to stop his daydreaming just for a moment and to simply delight in this God who had given him and given him and given him all those different things. How wise he would have been if he just came out thinking, God is so generous rather than haven't I done well. So let me ask you, how rich are you in your joy at the goodness of God in this life and in the whole of eternity? How rich are you in understanding what you've been given by him? I'll tell you. Because what shows your delight in God's goodness to you will show in how much you want to be like him. He's been generous. How much do you want to be like him? That'll show how much you love his generosity. Because whatever we love actually changes us to make us like the thing we love. So that, for example, uh, I love my wife not just because of who she is. I love her because of the effect that she has on me. I'm a different person because of her. I like the person I am because of her. It's not just her that I like. I like the effect that she has on me. Now, it's like that with God as well. Yes, I love him for his generosity, but I don't just love him for that I love him for the effect that he has on me, making me more like him. I love it when he makes me more like him. So the second way that we become rich towards God is to be rich in our desire to be like him. Now that doesn't come naturally. You're not born with this desire. You and I are born with a desire to be greedy. That is my big problem in life. I'm exceptionally 
greedy, and my only escape out of my greedy heart is to love God for his generosity and to long for him to have a supernatural effect on my life so that I become generous in the way that he is. Now, living that way will make me look like a fool to my friends. But God's wise people are those who are wanting to be like him. Now, if you're someone who's new to church, let me tell you, it's very easy to come into a church and to think that what God really hates are people who get drunk or sleep around, who do bad things. And we think that actually God got a real anger for that kind of behavior. Tonight, you notice we've met a man who has not stepped over the mark in any of those areas, but who God nonetheless says is a fool and who will deserve hell. And my friend, he will say that to you if your life is like this man. If your life is empty of gratitude, verse 21 will be the summary of your life that is written on your gravestone. Stored up things for themselves, not rich towards God. Maybe you're churchy. Well, again tonight we've met a man who's been part of a crowd listening to Jesus. But really what he wanted Jesus to do was to sort out his finances. And my friend, that goes on today in churches today. People flock to prosperity churches wanting a bigger slice of the cake. Wanting God to sort out their finances, which is why they go and why they give. Jesus says in verse 15 to people who are listening to him, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Staggering, isn't it, that he might be saying that to prosperity churches? That he might be saying that to people who claim to be Christians, but who think their money will give them the happier life and the security that they want. Maybe, the, maybe you're a disciple and tonight you're willing to make a very honest admission to yourself and to God. And that is you are a very greedy person. I have a, a default daydream myself of arriving at a day when I can take it easy and have enough. My default position is to be like this man, the farmer. But tonight, I want to replace that with another dream. I want to replace that with the dream of living in worship of the God who has already given me so much. It's like uh, the children's activity. Rather than do the daydream, I'd like to count the blessings. It's like David in Psalm 23. Uh, rather than say, uh, this is what I want. Uh, David's saying, this is what I've got. Uh, I want to replace my dream of a future with a dream of a present. 
that is filled with gratitude for the God who gives. Nothing that I own, it comes from him. And I want to grow the dream where I use what I have so others can go, wow, at God's generosity towards them. So what God gives me, for me to see his generosity, I can then pass on to others that they might think he is generous the way I do. That's why I think the principle of tithing is good. We take 10% of what we get and give it away to remind us that the 90% is actually his, not mine. We're just giving out of what he has given to us, which is his. Which is why I think, actually, that uh, principle of generosity is uh, right for Christians, but only once we've understood how generous God is. We live like that man looking over all that he has, saying, God is so generous, and I would love to be generous like him. I'll stop there, and I'll take questions.